Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. We're continuing on in our series on the Lord's Prayer. And this morning we'll zoom in on the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Matthew 6, beginning at verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, You are the God who said, Let there be light, and there was light. This morning we want to ask that Your light will shine in our hearts so that we can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ who is Your perfect image. We pray that You will give light to Your will so that we can see how good, pleasing, and perfect it is. And I want to pray that we will be absolutely stunned and amazed by how good Your will is for us, Your people. And I ask this so that the name of Jesus will be exalted and so that You will be glorified. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, for several weeks now, we've been talking about uh, the Lord's Prayer and prayer in general. So maybe now is a good time as any to ask, how's your prayer life going? <laughs> uh, how was your time of prayer this last week? It's been said that if you ever want to humble a man, just ask him about his prayer life. <laughs> uh, my purpose in asking about your prayer life is not to humble you. Um, it's not to embarrass you, but simply to demonstrate that we need help when it comes to prayer, um, that we need guidance so that we can grow in prayer, and that we need a pattern to follow as we're, as we're praying. And like Jesus' original disciples, uh, we need Jesus to teach us how to pray. Um, on a personal note, and I, I hope you'll be encouraged by this, as I've been praying the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, I've discovered that Martin Luther was correct when he said, he who prays the Lord's Prayer truly prays. I think that's a great statement. He said, he who prays the Lord's Prayer truly prays. Now, why might that be? Um, I think it's because whether we realize it or not, when we're praying the petitions in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying about the things that God is concerned about. We're praying about His name and His name being exalted. We're praying about His kingdom. We're praying about His will. And then from there, we do pray about our needs. Um, our need for bread. Our need for forgiveness. Our need for strength when we're tempted and involved in a spiritual battle. And I think we really do pray because in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying about the things that we really need. 
whether we realize it or not. I said this in previous weeks, but one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer in the first place is because we don't know what we need. We really don't know what we need. So we're getting ready to pray and we think, okay, what do I need? And if we're honest, we say, I don't really know. I think I know what I need. Lots of money in the bank accounts, health, great relationships, all those kinds of things. I think I know what I need, but do I really know what's best for me? I don't. So Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer because what we really need is again, for God's name to be exalted, for His kingdom to come, for us to submit to His will, as well as for Him to provide us with bread and forgiveness and, and strength. And those things are all found in the, in the Lord's Prayer. Now, why do we need the Lord's Prayer? Another reason is so that we can connect with God. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray after they saw Him praying on a certain occasion. We saw that back in Luke 11. And what I think, and again, I'm reading between the lines a little bit, but I think the disciples saw Jesus praying and they realized, I don't pray like that. I don't connect with God like Jesus does. How can I connect with God? And I think that's part of what they're asking when they're saying, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray so that we can really connect with God. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to help you. And He gives us the Lord's Prayer. Because these things help us to connect with God because we're praying about the things that God is concerned about. Now, imagine my wife Michelle and I sitting down and, and, and I say to my wife, um, let's, let's spend some time praying for the upcoming week. Now, what, what things are you concerned about in the, in the upcoming week? What are some concerns you have? What are some desires that you have for the upcoming week? And, and she shares some of those and she says, these are some things I'm really burdened about. And then I say, okay, now let me share some of the things that you know I'm really concerned about and some of the things that are on my heart concerning the next week. And so I pray about those. And I say, okay, let me, let me pray for us. And then I, I pray for myself. For my desires, my concerns, my needs. And then after I'm done praying for all the things that I want God to do, I say, Amen. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think Michelle might say? Excuse me. <laughs> Maybe a little tap on this. Uh, honey, uh, you're concerned at all about what I'm concerned about? If we're honest, maybe that's how we're praying when we come into God's presence. We say, God, what are you concerned about? I'm concerned about my name, my kingdom, my will. And then we say, okay, now Lord, here's all the things that I'm concerned about. And then you say, well, tell you what, let me pray. And then what do you do? Lord, give me this. Give me that. Give me the other thing. I'm worried about this. I'm bothered about that. Lord, You need to intervene. Work on my behalf. Amen. And, and maybe it's like God standing off to the side kind of saying, uh, prayer is supposed to be a two-way street. I understand you're concerned about some things, but what, what about the things that I'm concerned about? And when we just pray about our concerns, is it any wonder that we feel like we're not connecting with God? Just like I wouldn't be connecting with my wife in prayer if I just prayed about the things that I'm concerned about. 
So we need to think about God's concerns as well as our own concerns. And again, any concern that you have is legitimate before God. It's not too small. It's not too petty. Bring all of them. We should bring all of them. But let's not just think about our own concerns. Let's also think about the things that God wants. He wants His name to be exalted. He wants His kingdom to come. And this morning, we're going to focus in on the fact that He wants His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. God's will being done. Uh, One pastor stated bluntly to his congregations, we moderns are terrified by this prayer (laughs) because we want to be in control. I would state it this way. The truth is we're all a bunch of control freaks. And we want to be masters of our faith. We want to be captains of our souls. And if we're really honest, we want God to do our will. What we really want to say is, My will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, here's what My will is. And if You would carry it out, that would be just wonderful. But that's not what the petition is. The petition is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's asking us to submit to His will. Now, here's what I think is the big question. How are we going to submit to God's will? Because it's not easy. How are we going to submit to God's will where we just not just sing, but we say, I surrender all. Whatever you want. I'll do it. How can we do that? Well, I think we do it by returning right back to the beginning of the prayer and we look really close at our Father. And we remember, we're submitting to the will of our Father. This isn't impersonal. This is personal. A person. Okay, We're talking about God, but God's a person. A person is asking us to submit to His will. And then we have to ask, who is this person? Can I trust this person? Because submitting to God's will is all about trust. Who is this person that's asking me to submit to His will? This person is our Father. And this person loves us immensely. And this love that He has for us is seen most clearly in the cross of Christ. So if we're ever going to submit to God's will, it's not a matter of just trying a little harder. If you think, well, I'm going to go home this morning and i got to say, okay, i got to do God's will. i got to try a little harder. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. We're not talking about sheer willpower. We have to be enthralled by the love of God. And when that happens, when we see what God has done for us, then we'll naturally say, God loves me so much, therefore I love Him so much, therefore I want to do what He's calling me to do then we'll be able to do what He's calling us to do. So we need to see His love for us and that is seen again most clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, then we will naturally, joyfully, and willingly align our will with His will. And again, that's what prayer is. It's not getting God to align His will with us, but us aligning our will with His will. So what I'd like to do is focus on Jesus and how He carried out the will of the Father. Let me ask you a trivia question. and It's more than a trivia question. It's an important trivia question. 
Uh, but this is the question. What was the hardest prayer that Jesus ever prayed? Should I give the Jeopardy music? Dun, dun, dun. Thank you, Dixie. I, I thought a few more of you would know. But Thy will be done. When Jesus is pouring out His heart in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you find it difficult to say, Thy will is done, realize that Jesus found it difficult to say, Thy will be done. Now, what was the Father's will for Jesus? What was the Father's will for Jesus? Why did God the Father send God the Son from heaven to earth? And, and this can be stated in many different ways, but I'm going to state it bluntly so that you don't forget it. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write this down. The Father's will for Jesus was that Jesus go to hell so that we can go to heaven. The Father's will for the Son was that He go to hell so that you and I could go to heaven. That was the mission of Jesus. And now you know why it was hard for Him to say, Thy will be done because of what was in front of Jesus. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Luke 22 where we see Jesus wrestling with the will of the Father. Luke 22. I'm going to pick it up in verse 39. And this is just before Jesus is about to go to the cross. Luke 22, beginning at verse 39. And Jesus came out and went, as was His custom, to the Mount of Olives and the disciples followed Him. That, that was His place of prayer, Mount of Olives. That's, that's where He went to spend time with the Father in prayer. And when He came to the place, He said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if You are willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So here's Jesus. The cup is before him, and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, my will is that you remove the cup from me. Nevertheless, may your will be done. So Jesus is saying, Father, this is, this is my will that you take away this cup, but, but I want to submit to your will. Even though it's hard, even though there's a clash going on right now. Now, let me be very clear. What does Jesus mean by this cup? We've got to make sure we understand what, what the cup is, because this is the center of the prayer. He's saying, remove this cup from me. What is the Father asking the Son to drink? What is the cup? The cup is the wrath of God against sin. That's the cup. Jesus knows He's going to the cross. And the cross is not just physical punishment. Jesus knows that on the cross, God's wrath, God's punishment against sin 
is going to come down upon Him. You know what we call that? Hell. That's what we call that, hell. And we're told in the Gospels that from noon to 3 o'clock as Jesus hung on the cross, there was an eclipse and the sun was darkened in the middle of the day and for three hours, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. He was just punished again and again and again for all the sins that God's people had ever commit and would ever commit. Jesus was punished for all the sins of the elect. That's the cup He was being asked to drink. And He's asking, is there any other way? Is there some end around that we can go so I don't have to drink this cup? That, that's what He is wrestling with. And the Father is going to say No. I think John Calvin was right. It's, it's interesting in, in the Apostles' Creed, you know, we have that phrase, He descended into hell. There's different translations. Maybe it's He descended into the grave. Uh, but I, I think how John Calvin stated it is best. This is how the Apostles' Creed should read. He was punished under, or sentenced under Pontius Pilate, crucified, descended into hell, died, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven where right now He rules and reigns at God's right hand over the nations. But on the cross, He descended into hell because that's when God's wrath came upon Him. But that's the cup that the Father is asking Him to drink and He doesn't want to drink it. doesn't want to drink it. So He's pouring out His heart to the Father being honest. Verse 43 is fascinating. I don't know if you've ever really grasped this. Sometimes we just skip over phrases like this. 43, And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. In answer to Jesus' prayer, the Father sent an angel. And the angel did at least two things. The text is very clear. The angel strengthened him. Because Jesus is being crushed under the weight of what's before Him. I mean, it's just... We can't imagine it. We really can't. We cannot imagine what it's like to die as Jesus did. Because remember, we're not just talking about physical death. We're talking about the wrath of God, which thankfully we'll never have to experience. So He's being crushed under the very thought of experiencing God's wrath. The angel strengthens Him. And the angel, it seems, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but the angel seems to tell Jesus, the Father says, you have to drink the cup. He will not remove it from you. There's no other way that you carry out the Father's will than to drink the cup. And the reason why I say that is because of how the prayer continues. Jesus prays a second time. And notice what He says. And being... In agony, he prayed more earnestly. So first of all, the angel strengthens him, but then when he prays the second time, there, there's more agony. Why is there more agony? Because the answer was, no, you got to drink the cup. That's the will of the Father. So now he's even in more agony. And part of the agony is that Jesus thinks, maybe I won't be able to carry out the will of the Father. Maybe I won't be able to glorify Him through this. Maybe it's going to be too much. He's in more agony. And then we're told he prays earnestly and sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. 
He's in such agony, so intense. All his capillaries are they're busting and, and blood is coming out because of what's before him in the wrath of God. He's praying again. But turn back to Matthew 26 so you can see precisely what he's praying. Luke doesn't include it, but Matthew does. Matthew 26. And this is in verse 42. Matthew 26, 42. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, Father, if this cup cannot pass, notice now he's not asking if it can be passed. He's just saying, okay, if this cup cannot be passed because this is your will. So again, it appears that the angel made it known to him, yes, this is the will of God. So he says, okay, if it's, if it's your will that this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Your will be done. Enable me to do what You're calling me to do. And remember, what Jesus wanted to do more than anything else was the will of the Father. His whole life was about the will of the Father. His whole ministry was about the will of the Father. Everything that He desired was to do what the Father wanted Him to do. In John 6.38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do My will, but to do the will of Him who sent Me. So Jesus says, the very reason I came from heaven to earth wasn't to do My will, but to do the will of the Father who sent Me. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, I delight to do Thy will, O my God. Thy law is within my heart. And Hebrews 10.7 applies that psalm to Jesus. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Jesus said, it's my delight, it's my joy to do the will of the Father. And in John 4.34, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. It was, his, it was His very food. He said, this is what nourishes me to do the will of the Father. Yet when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, He also said paradoxically, but it's difficult. Right now, at this very moment, to do the will of the Father. So the question is, how is Jesus going to be able to do the will of the Father? And I think in answer to his prayers, saying, this, this is your will, Father, help me to do it. The Father ministers to him and helps him to see, believe it or not, that there is actually a joy in the cross. There's a paradox. The joy of a cross that he endured. And we find this paradox in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, too, I can read it for you. We read, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the cross is staring Jesus in the face. And on the one hand, He's enduring the cross because it's something to be despised. But on the other hand, there's a joy in the cross. The joy that was set before Him. So those things come together. So this is the question we need to ask. 
What, what was the joy that was set before Jesus in the cross as He was going to bring upon Himself the wrath of God and endure that? What was the joy in that? You know what the answer is? You are that joy. Did you get that? You are the joy that was set before Jesus Christ. The Father said to the Son, you're going to go to the cross. You're going to endure My wrath. But in doing so, you're going to secure the salvation of your bride, the church, so that they can be with you forever. You are the joy of Jesus Christ. You are the apple of His eye. You are part of the reason why He endured the cross. Yes, He did it for the glory of the Father, but He also did it because, believe it or not, He loves you. And I can back this up scripturally. Isaiah 53. One of the greatest passages, if not the greatest passage in the Old Testament that talks about Jesus dying on the cross for our sin in our place. Hopefully you're familiar with Isaiah 53, 4 and following. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Couldn't be any clearer. Jesus was punished for our sins. Our sins was laid upon Jesus. But then going a little further, verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Speaking of Jesus. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for sin. So there it is. It's clear. It's God's will for Jesus. God's will for Jesus that he be crushed. And his soul makes an offering for our sin. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the offering for our sin. For what purpose? He shall see his offspring. Purpose of this offering is so that he can see his offspring. Who are the offspring of Jesus? We are. We, the church, the bride of Christ, the elect, the ones given to the Son by the Father, we are his offspring. He did this for us so that our days could be. Prolong the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. What's going to satisfy him? By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquity. He's going to be satisfied when He dies for us and secures our salvation, the righteous for the unrighteous, and we're told very clearly that we will be accounted righteous. 
And of course, this is what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 5.21 when he says of Jesus, He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. And of course, this is the great exchange that took place at the cross. At the cross, our sins were nailed upon Jesus and in return, Jesus gave us His righteousness so that we could be saved. Almost unfathomable. And we need to ask, why would God do this? Why would the Son do this? Why did this divine conspiracy for our salvation take place? And the answer is because of the love of God. Because of God's love for a wicked, rebellious world. That's the answer. If you think that's amazing, there's one more passage that's even more amazing if you can believe it. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. So God is pre- He's a mighty one to save you. Save Israel from her enemies. Save us ultimately from our sins. He's mighty. And then we're told, describing this salvation, He will rejoice over you with gladness. Did you know that? God rejoices over you with gladness. It is His joy to save you. It brings Him delight. It brings Him pleasure. He will quiet you by His love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. The God in heaven sings loudly and you say, why is He singing? Because He loves you. That's why He loves you. Can you fathom that? God loves you and because of that great love for you, He sends the Son to the cross and that's His will so that He can secure your salvation. And even though it's difficult, even though it's agonizing, Jesus does it because in the midst of that enduring, there's also a joy and the joy is your salvation. I think if we can see that God's will is to save us and to understand what God did for us in saving us because it was His will, then I think in turn we will be able to say freely, if if that's your will, Thy will be done! Yes! Let your will be done! But we have to see just how great and glorious it is. There's so much that we could say from this episode, but just... Three things quickly, if I could. What do we learn from this episode? We learn that God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. God's will. Think of God's will and our salvation. Is there anyone who would disagree with that? God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. And that phrase comes from Romans 12, 1 and 2. And this is what we read. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And in the context, what he means by the mercies of God is our salvation that he's been describing for 11 chapters. Therefore, because God is so merciful in doing all that He did to save you, 
I appeal to you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other ways, it's just another way of saying, offer yourself to God and just say, Thy will be done in my life, whatever you want. And then he goes on and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what God's will is. Why would we not want to do it? But you know what? It doesn't always seem that way at first, does it? It doesn't always seem like good, perfect, acceptable. Even Jesus, as, as we just saw, was wondering, is, is this really the best way? Maybe there's another way. Even Jesus wrestled. And, and sometimes we wrestle. Uh, some of you know about Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was roughly 16 or 17, uh, she was swimming out in the lake. She was on a pier. She dove into water off the pier, but unbeknownst to her, it was in shallow water. She was paralyzed, became a quadriplegic, was in the geriatric ward of a state institution in Maryland. And she says that for hours she would listen as her friends read stories from the Scriptures. She says one of her favorite stories was of a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. Jesus encountered him lying by the pool of Bethesda and healed him. As a result of the story, John began picturing herself lying on a straw mat by the pool of Bethesda. For hours on end, she pleaded with God for a miraculous healing. Can't you picture it? That's what I'd be doing. For hours on end, praying that God would heal her. Imagine she's got her whole life in front of her. She's a teenager. She doesn't want to be in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Lord, heal me. She said it seemed that in those days God did not reward her prayer with a response. Thirty years later, however, she received a revelation of sorts during a trip to Jerusalem with her husband Ken. He pushed her wheelchair down the steps of the Via Della Rosa, made a left turn at the Sheep's Gate, walked by St. Anne's Church, and ran straight into the pool of Bethesda. While resting her arms on the guardrail overlooking those now dry, dusty ruins, Johnny's mind flashed back to, back to those 30 years earlier that she had pictured herself lying on a mat at this very place. Suddenly, like a thunderbolt across a clear blue sky, she was struck by the realization that God had not given her the response she was looking for. He had given her a far better one. Overwhelmed with emotion, she began to thank God for not healing her. She saw 30 years later that God's will really was good, pleasing, and perfect because of the wheelchair she had a relationship with God that she otherwise wouldn't have had because it forced her to call upon Him like never before. And because of the wheelchair, God essentially used it as a platform and has raised her up so that she's been able to speak to millions about the goodness of God. And when someone says that God is good in a wheelchair, that gets your attention. And she was able to look back some 30 years later and thank God for saying no to her will because His will was actually better. 
And a day is coming when every single one of us, we're going to look back and we're going to realize God was good, pleasing, and perfect even though I didn't understand it at the time. One of the reasons why we love the story of Joseph it becomes so clear after 13 years of agony, betrayed by his brothers. I mean, his brothers sold as a slave, falsely accused, thrown into prison. God raised him up, second command in Egypt. And then he tells his brothers later, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to accomplish what is now taking place the salvation of many. Joseph was able to look back and God, God had an excellent plan in it all along. And many of us in our lifetime will have the privilege of seeing that. I, I remember years ago during Thanksgiving, I, I put together an insert and I, I wanted us to take time down during the service and just write out all our blessings. And I, I had down uh, physical blessings, you know, material blessings. I had relational blessings. Uh, spiritual blessings. And then it was like at, at the last moment, I, I, I thought of another category just kind of came to mind. Hidden blessings. And by that, I, I meant the difficulties that we went through, but we later realized were blessings in disguise. At the time, they were tough. They were agonizing. They were painful. But then later, we realized that they really were the blessings of God. And as it turned out, that that one was the most meaningful for many people. Because they could look back and realize that God had brought things into their life that really were blessings, but it didn't appear that way at first. But God used them for that. So I hope we can see that God's will is good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. Therefore, shouldn't God's will be the desire of our hearts? And... And when we can see what God has done for us, I, I think we'll just want to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? It doesn't matter what you want me to do. It doesn't matter because I just want to please you. You'll notice that in this request it says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we need to ask this question How is God's will done in heaven among the angels? And, and John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace that we sang a little while ago, illustrates it this way. I love this. He says, if two angels were to receive at the same moment a commission from God, one to go down and rule the earth's grandest empire and the other basically to go and be a, a street sweeper, he says, it would be a matter of complete indifference to each which service fell to his lot. The post of ruler or the post of street sweeper. For the joy of the angels lies only in obedience to God's will. The angels, if they were given a choice, they would say, Lord, it doesn't matter. Just tell me what you want me to do. That was the attitude of John, John Wesley. John Wesley basically said, Lord, lay me aside. Employ me. Whatever you want. I just want to do your will. Do with me whatever you will. And once you see what God has done for you, that's... That's your mindset. What, what do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. You want me to preach in church? I'll preach in church. You want me to clean the toys? I'll clean, I'll clean the toys. You want me to cut the grass? I'll cut the grass. Just you, you tell me what you want me to do. It doesn't matter. I'll do it. Just show me what you want me to do because I just want to show how grateful I am for all that you've done for me. And then just quickly one more. 
Doing God's will is, is how we draw close to God. And again, remember, Jesus gave us this prayer so that we could see how we could connect with God. And one of the ways in which we connect with God is by carrying out His will for us. Mark 3.32 The people come and they say to Jesus, Your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. It's an interesting picture. Your mother. So Jesus' mother, Mary, and His brothers, His half-brothers, are outside and people say, they're looking for you, Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Who are my mother and my brothers? Then He looked at those seated in a circle around Him. And this is what He said. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Fascinating picture. This this motif, this theme runs all throughout Mark where you have those on the outside and those on the inside. And what's fascinating here is Jesus' physical family is on the outside and His spiritual family is on the inside. And He said, if you want to be a part of the inner circle, here's how you can be a part of the inner circle. You carry out the will of of the Father. Of course, that's what it means to be a Christian, is it not? To carry out the will of the Father. But it's more than just being a Christian. Jesus is saying, this is how you get close to Jesus. You carry out the will of the Father. And when you carry out the will of the Father, you're a part of the inner circle. And let me, let me just close with one other one other episode because I just love it. And this is Mark. And again, it's the same... Inside, outside theme, it's Mark 1.40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Remember, leper, they, they had these skin diseases that made them unclean. They were cast not only out of the temple, out of the fellowship, but out of the community, remember, because of what they had. If people came close, they had to shout, Unclean! Unclean! They had to cover their mouths. They couldn't be with people. They had to be outside people. The worst part probably was not being able to fellowship with people. So they're way on the outside, cast out of, out of the community because they're unclean. And this leper comes imploring Jesus not for a healing, but to make him clean so that he can come again into the community. He had to be clean. And then we're told, moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus violated the law of God. You are not to touch lepers. Jesus touched the unclean. And the people were watching, I'm sure there were gaps. <gasps> How can he do that? Touching the unclean. And he said to him, I will. Basically, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus was no longer openly able to enter a town, but was now out in desolate places. See what happens? Because of what Jesus did to this leper, he couldn't come into town. Now Jesus is out 
in desolate places. You know what's happened? Jesus has changed places with the leper. He's changed places. He's touched him, basically taken his leprosy. Now he's unclean. Jesus with the unclean people out of death, desolate places and the lepers on the inside. Friends, that, that is a picture of salvation. Again, we, we see substitution. Jesus takes our place so that a great exchange takes place. And again, I just want to leave you with this. If Jesus is willing to do this for us, exchange places with Him because it's the will of the Father, wouldn't we want to respond by doing the will of the Father? Again, His will is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. Carrying out is, is how we draw close to God. And the day is coming when we will see how God is orchestrating all His will for our lives in a way that not only brings Him glory, but is for our good. But in the meantime, we, we can see how God's will takes place in the midst of injustice by looking, by looking at the cross. The greatest injustice but it was God's will and God turned around that injustice for His glory and for our salvation. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Your will for us. We thank You for our great salvation. Father, I pray that this will grip our hearts, that it will transform our hearts and our desires, that it will catapult us with the desire to do all that You're calling us to do. Father, Your will, on the one hand, can be difficult, it can be hard, but at the same time, it is, it is joyful and a delight. Father, help us to carry it out, even as the angels do, by seeing just how perfect it is. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.